This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. Every year, my good friend Ken Brown and I lead a trip we call the Freezathon. It's a three-day birding trip, usually over Martin Luther King Day. This year, we got snowed out on ML King weekend, so went on President's Day weekend. Uh, but we go up to the north-central Washington area, in the Okanagan County area, and we look for winter specialties. In Washington, we are the place where many birds of the north come to spend their winter. These are typically arctic uh, and tundra sort of birds. We get snow buntings, we get common red poles, we get jeer falcons, we get uh, a variety of birds that either come down from the highlands, uh, mountain birds like pine grosbeak, uh, or come down from the far north to spend their winters. Horned larks are here in huge numbers on, on Okanagan Highlands. We get uh, Lapland longspurs sometimes. Just a nice variety of, win- variety of winter specialty birds. We also get grouse there. Fancy chickens, as uh, uh, some people would call them. We get uh, sharp-tailed grouse. We get uh, ruffed grouse. We get occasionally sage grouse. Uh, introduced species called gray partridge, used to be called Hungarian partridge. Uh, And so get a lot of birds that are hard to get at other times of the year in other places. So we have a really nice trip up there. And one of the cool things that happens there is the Omak Inn is a long-standing hotel there that many of the birding groups use to stay when they go there. And oftentimes in the evening after our first day, our first day we usually uh, leave here early in the morning, Western Washington, the Tacoma area, drive, uh, out and it's a, maybe a five or six hour drive to get up there all together uh, and we bird our way around and get in, in the evening and, and oftentimes there's another birding group who's been there and has birded the Okanagan Highlands and that area for much of the day as have we and we share notes. Well Stefan Slick uh, leads trips uh, and uh, is uh, often at the time was leading trips for Washington Audubon Society or WAS and uh, we would get sit down in the evening, compare notes with Stefan. He would say, oh, yeah, we found this here. Just the places you want to go, places you don't want to go. It was always fun. And I always thought, God, this guy is really sharp. He, he, is, he just knows his stuff. He's really all over it. And he and Ken, who's also just a fabulous birder and great trip leader, I would mostly be a passive participant as I listened in while they compared notes and thought about where they should go and described exactly where we saw things or they saw things and how to best find them. So really had a good time uh, listening in with Stefan and Ken comparing notes. And I always thought since I've started the podcast, I'd like to have Stefan Slick on sometime. It'd be a really good guest. He's really sharp. And sure enough, today, my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 61, is Stefan Schleck. You're going to really enjoy hearing from Stefan. I didn't know until this podcast that he's a full-time trip leader now. That's a great thing for him until the coronavirus epidemic hit. Uh, this pandemic has really put a hole in much of ecotourism, uh, and uh, trip leaders, tour leaders, uh, obviously uh, a part of that uh savaged industry right now. But I had a really good time talking with Stefan. I think you'll enjoy hearing his birding story uh, about the the places he's been and uh, his uh, interest now in butterflies and dragonflies. So I think uh, you'll enjoy that. So help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 61, Stefan Schlick. Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being my guest today. Thank you. Hi, Ed. How are you doing? 
Yeah, I always look forward to catching up with you in the Okanagan when uh, Ken and I go out leading our uh, local trip. And you, is the trip you lead for WASS or is it an Oregon trip? I think it's a WASS trip, isn't it? I yeah, I think it was a a WASS trip for many years, and um, I think uh, recently I've been branching out a little bit. So I led um, an Okanagan winter trip for Portland Audubon. Okay. And so, on. so yeah, it's not always a WASS trip, but yeah, that's that's how it started. Seemed like our weekends uh, seemed to coincide for several years in a row. So it was nice yeah. to, uh, always nice to compare notes at the end of the day over. Yeah, very useful. A little yep. cup of coffee or something in the in the yep. restaurant. Yeah, it's there. the the uh, you know um, exchange of information at the end of the day. That's that's super useful. You know, it when, is because it's such a big area and so much ground to cover, and um, you know having an extra. Uh, uh, you know, field trip out there uh, will yield a lot of information that, that I, I just can't cover um, sure. on my trip. So, so it's super, super useful to have other people, even when they're saying, hey, I, we did this and it was really slow. Then I know, hey, maybe I don't need to maybe do Maybe you can this. skip that area. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so that's, uh, that, as I said, it's always fun to catch up with you. Stefan, I know that you uh, have been birding in this area for a long time, but you started uh, birding before you came to America, or did, did you really start after you got here? Um, so I started before, but I wasn't actually, you know, I wasn't a birder. I was probably a bird watcher. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, um, and then when I got here in Wisconsin, I, I got into it pretty quickly. And then uh, from there, it took you know my um, my job took me to Florida. There, I um, took it really seriously. I started listing. So this was in '97 or something like that. I started mm -hmm. listing hard, and you know also traveling and all that. Um, but yeah, so I, I I knew a little bit. I I was birding before I came here, but I I you know I wasn't traveling for it. Mm -hmm. So sort of a more uh, casual birder, and then you Somewhat, caught the bug yeah. big time. Yep. Caught the bug big time here. Yep. Good for you. So you've lived in some pretty cool areas, the mid Midwest, and then Florida, and now out here. So you've had a good good chunk of the country covered just from the places you've lived. Yeah. Um. You know, the five years in Florida was uh, was pretty amazing. You know, Florida is not necessarily a place you want to live at, but you know, for birding. It's a great place. Um, it is because it has a little bit of the Gulf. It has, um, you know, the more um, almost western parts, and then of course it has the Atlantic coast. It has South Florida and the Keys, and and the proximity to uh, islands and and you know even South America from from Miami. Not that I ever did that, but I remember some of the flights were like two and a half hours to. Venezuela, you know, or something like that. So you are in a good position there. You are. And plus all the vagrants, if you're an ABA lister, vagrants, I mean, Florida oh, yeah. is one of the, the mm -hmm. real, you know, the Bahaman birds come over, the Cuban birds come over, yep. the Latin American birds come up. It's uh, yep. Mexican exactly. birds. You know, you can catch all sorts of crazy stuff there. Plus, you know, just a great place to be in migration. It is a good place. Um, both fall and spring, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen what they call Oktoberfest, um, and then which is so the in in fall the um, 
migration is is pretty much um, tied to um, you know fronts coming down and pushing mm-hmm. pushing birds down. And if you have sort of right. um, kind of the bird sandwich between two fronts, so that they can't go either way. Um, then you get sort of a sweet spot, and I've had can, that a couple. They can pile, couple pile up on you. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And in spring, it's um, it's um, it's also pretty pretty interesting. It's it's similar to here that you know it's there's like a two two week maybe three week window when everything comes through, and so um, if you go to the main spots, um, you know Fort DeSoto, for example, um, you know end of April twentieth you know, or something like that. Um, it's, it's always a good weekend. Sounds like it's a great place to be. I've, I've birded Florida a little bit, not nearly, not nearly as much as you, obviously. And then when did you move to Portland? Um, so in 04, I moved up to, um, Seattle. I was working for Microsoft for a year plus year, just over a year. Then I moved to Sacramento working for Intel. Okay. And so I was there for almost two years. And then I moved up to Portland. So Portland was 07. Okay. So So you've been here for 13 years, years, something like that. Well, uh, it's been uh, great to have you in the area. Another terrific bird locally, uh, regionally, I guess, is uh, always good to have. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it's been it's been great. Uh, so, Stefan, you have led a lot of trips. Uh, are you still leading a lot of trips now, or have you backed off on that a little? Huh. Well, um, I was before, um, you know, COVID-19. Um, well, that's, I was that's essentially, an issue for everyone, sure. Yeah, I was essentially leading full-time um, for about, I don't know, two and a half years since 2017. So as a full-time job? As a full-time job, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and so um, some of it was um, through Portland Audubon, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then I had a lot of, I had, a, I had you know, private gigs and a lot of other sort of organizations that uh, used to, or that would hire me. Um, so, for example, the, the Tropical Audubon Society down in Miami, um, since they remember me from back then, mm-hmm. You know, they would hire me about once, sometimes twice a year to run a trip for them. And now, you know, um, ever since the pandemic started, you know, everything got canceled and I'm the whole, I'm now the, struggling. whole uh, yeah. the whole ecotourism industry has crashed. That's yeah, for sure. Collapsed. Yeah. yeah. Have to say, if anything, it's made find, finding guests for the podcast easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Everybody's sitting home. Yeah. Get to do a vicarious Everybody's birding by a talk. Yep. Yeah, good. Uh, so, Stefan, uh, you you have spent a lot of. It looks like you must lead a lot of trips to Texas and Arizona, or do you just go there on your own? I just looked at your eBird profile, and you have spent. I don't know how much time you spent, but you have nice lists in California, Texas, yeah. Arizona. Looks like. Yeah, you know, California is explainable because I lived there um, almost two years, and I birded the hell out of it. Meaning, every weekend I was driving from Sacramento down to wherever it took me salt and sea <laughs> nine mm-hmm. hours i did that a bunch yeah. of times um and you know texas you don't have to visit a lot if you make uh, a few migration trips um and maybe a couple of others like a hill country trip and then um you know maybe a winter trip then you get you get a huge list 
Um, Arizona is a little bit different. I am guiding there and I, I have been there a boatload of times, you know, like over 30 times in oh my goodness. pretty much all months, but March, March was, um, kind of a funny one because so I once booked, a booked a trip. This was just a private trip for me, uh, to go to, to Arizona and realized that while the, the flight was cheap, uh, the rental car was not, was going to be 160 a day. Oh my goodness. And the reason for that was that it was spring break. Oh, okay. And so, um, they, they jacked the prices up, um, for rental cars <laughs> for spring break. The flights mm -hmm. were, were inexpensive. So I essentially said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I, I canceled and pushed it out. Um, sure. And went at another time. Yeah. But Arizona I am doing, and it turns out I'm, so I had one trip to Arizona canceled, um, this monsoon. The other one may actually go. I have people who want to go. And so now we're, we're thinking, Hey, if, if both Arizona and Oregon opens, um, we could, we could do this in yeah. end of July. It's just a little yeah. weird for sure. Yeah. Except for the airplane part of birding trips and the, the, I guess the, the collection of people being close together for a period of time. It, it doesn't seem like, except for the people who are on the trip, you're not going to be near that many other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you, it, yeah. Well, what happens is the people that are on this trip are going to be a new household. Yes, exactly. And exactly. so, because you're going to be in the same car and mm -hmm, you're going to for, for sure. sure share all the germs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that car. Um, yes. No doubt about that. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, so. you know, you're going to be outside most of the time and then sure you're going to go out for, for food um, and you're going to go you shopping don't even there. Have, you don't have to go out for yeah. restaurants. I mean, you can just you shop can. shop a, a grocery store every two or three days and bring a cooler. It wouldn't be the same level of customer service, I guess, that you Yeah, and it's, you know, it's hard in during the monsoon with the heat um, yes. with a cooler. So I, boy, yeah, I hear you, you can probably it make hard. it work, but it's, it's going to be difficult. It would be a challenge. Ken and I went down, uh, during the monsoon for my only time in Arizona in the summer and mm -hmm. the birding was really fun, mm -hmm. but the heat is an issue. Oh, it was really hot. Yeah. It's, it's so weird because it's actually, so I've had, um, days worth of 75 degrees up at, um, you know, um, some elevation six seven thousand foot yeah in the chiricahuas even mm -hmm. five and a half thousand and then you come um into the lowlands especially um where the rivers are the santa cruz and um the san pedro and it's in those river drainages it is humid as hell it um, is oppressive yeah and so i've had people on on a on a trip that i led that last year there were, we had a really great trip. And on the last day we were going to go, um, I think I look, go look for something, um, near green Valley in the lower mm -hmm. elevations. And folks just said, Hey, this was such a good trip. Um, all I want to do is sit at a restaurant, um, yeah. and, and go just to, go be to, out of the heat. <laughs> go to the hummingbird feeders at, uh, not at, even uh, that. 
Oh, they didn't even want to do that. Not even that, air because I suggested they that. They wanted AC. Yeah, they just wanted <laughs> AC and 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 maybe also darkness, you know, because the glare is another issue um, in Arizona, uh, you know, like the brightness of it. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> the, you know, you never know what your group is, how your group is, uh, works and what they, what they want to do. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, and the good thing it sounds like is that you had a consensus among the group. You didn't have mm-hmm. one or two hardcore listers yeah. who were just, my God, we can get another life. We're going down there. And the other said, no, we're not. Yeah. We're staying in the AC. Yeah. It worked really well because we were, we'd, we'd essentially done everything and we'd gotten everything we wanted to. And yeah. so, um, you know, we could have only gotten seconds or like, you know, another look at an Abert's towhee. So mm-hmm. what, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it worked yeah. out well, but yeah, a cold, so, beer, a cold beer in an air conditioned hotel sounded exactly. pretty good. Huh? So we went to this, there's this uh, restaurant in um, Green Valley. It's a, it's a Mexican restaurant. It's like the, the, the most highly rated one in on Yelp that mm-hmm. I take people to. I forgot what the name is, but I take people. Uh, there on a regular basis and you know we we sat there for like three hours <laughs> and reminisced <laughs> about the trip yeah yeah did you get a seahawk was it a sunday <laughs> <I'm just joking>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stefan you've also led some overseas trips uh how yeah. do you how do you how do you work that are you uh real intimate with the birds there i i think you you've been to i think morocco yeah uh, and and Brazil, and I, I think I saw some other places on your eBird yeah. profile. You've got pretty big lists, at least. Uh, do you uh, rely heavily on local guides, and you manage the logistics, or do you feel pretty comfortable with the birds? Um, so it, it all varies. Um, when I go to Europe, I'm going to be pretty much the guide. And so I ran a Greece trip uh, two, three years ago for Port and Audubon, where I was the main guide. Okay. Because I know Greece very well. Um, so Europe, I, I can guide on my own. Um, I, I might need occasional help with, like, say, an owl or a night jar location. Um, sure. But, but songs and calls, I, I know and what to look for and when and, and typically the locations. Now, other, other areas, it's a little bit different. So, yeah, for Portland Audubon, I mostly... I'm mostly the chaperone, meaning mm-hmm. I need to hire local guides sure. to do to 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 take help us, with the bird help yeah, with the bird location and ID exactly to for both ID and and for locations. Now it helps that I'm uh, you know I can uh, pick it up pretty quickly, and so it 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 helps for a second birder to be on this trip and have a second scope, a second set of eyes, a second mm-hmm. kind of way of explaining where the bird might be, um, might be located, you know, not, not sure. every location. Um, we were able to use a laser pointer on. So it, it, it's a little bit, so I, I, I think I can help, um, but, it, you know, obviously it's, I'm more a chaperone. And just making sure the logistics and everything else um, is works that the the interaction with a guide um, is good, um, rather than finding the birds. 
So you lead trips uh, through Portland uh, Audubon. Uh, mm-hmm. What other or do you have some? Do you have a private company that you do some trips as also? Um, I wouldn't call it that. I not technically. I do have a, a private distribution list, and um, I've run uh, trips to uh, places like Alberta um, privately um, twice now. And, you okay. know, usually my, my uh, Arizona trip or private uh, Arizona trips are privately run. So oddly, Portland Audubon trips to Arizona don't work. <laughs> they really? don't, they don't come together. Yeah. You, um, you don't get enough birders or. Yeah. You don't get enough birders and it's because of, because of the inability to describe it, that it could be interesting to go out in the heat of the, the, the dead heat of the summer. Yeah, it, um, it's. It, it, I have to say, living in a place where you really only get two good months a year of nice, warm weather to be outdoors in, to spend a week of it sweltering in Arizona <laughs> is is not an easy sell. Yeah, I think that that's part of it too. That people don't want to travel in the summer. They don't. They, they don't want to go anywhere. They they want to stay here and enjoy, you know, the beautiful warm weather that 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 we get. You know, only for like two, as you said, two and a half months or so. I think that's part of it. And I, I suspect that part of it is, you know, a lot of people can't travel three or four months a year. I mean, most people can't. And, and so if you only get two weeks of travel a year, three weeks of travel a year, uh, you want to get out of here when it's t- miserable in February right. or January. Yeah. You don't want to take it in that's right. Yeah, you want to go to the Caribbean in January. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm lo- I'm lucky my daughter lives in Costa Rica. Uh, nice. and so I I should be just getting back from a month in Latin America right now, but I've been stuck at home. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty excited about spending some time down there and learning really really getting you know, mm-hmm. a lot more intimate than I am with the, with the tropical birding. So that's uh, yeah. an exciting yeah, prospect it's, for me. It's absolutely wonderful. You know, like um, the, the, the options that you have down there, it, it's just, you know, you can run one trip and then you can vary it a little bit and get a whole lot of other species by going to slightly different spots, you know, for sure. something similar you couldn't, you couldn't do in Europe or here. Yeah, you have to so travel a lot farther nice. to change. Yeah, yeah. Even a, Costa Rica is a pretty small country. Mm-hmm. I mean, a pretty small. Mm-hmm. And it's got, I think it has a bigger bird list than the United States. Or yep. Yep. It, if it isn't a bigger list, it's a it's a, a bigger list if you exclude just vagrants in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. Yep. yep. So that is fun. Yeah. I, so I, um, I led a trip just before in March. I led a trip to San Blas, Mexico. Oh, nice. Which is a little bit of that type of feel where it's sort of tropical. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can get a massive species list there. And if you vary it a little bit and you go to a few a few different spots, you get, you know, quite a quite a few different birds, you know. So it's it, it's amazing. The species diversity um, down there in the tropics is just uh, mind blowing. It is, it is unple- and it's hard birding for me, at least uh, with, going without a guide. And I don't profess to be a, a proficient tropical birder at this point uh, to, to identify the uh, relatively mm-hmm. small 
brightly colored birds high in the leaves uh, with the sun glaring through is, boy, it's not easy. Yeah, the lighting, right? I mean, the lighting in the tropics is, is difficult. Yeah. I mean, well, just the fact to... that everything is lush and green and uh -huh. a lot of the birds are high. Yeah. It, it's not easy. Yeah. And it's uh, dark, surprisingly dark inside mm -hmm. the forest always you know yeah. looking from a dark area into a bright area is uh not mm -hmm. the best viewing conditions <laughs> yep <laughs> but it's a pretty cool place yeah oh it should be fun costa rica you'll 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 love it i bet i will i bet i will uh so stefan you have uh, also you mentioned to me that you've been branching out uh and learning about dragonflies and even butterflies uh locally tell me how did how did that come about and uh, how did you go about becoming prof i don't know proficient how did you how'd you figure it out uh so first off proficient uh would be a long shot i'm i'm learning <laughs> um but you know i'm making progress so yeah well it started with with dragonflies um mainly because i realized hey it's actually pretty simple here around portland or in seattle would be the same you have exactly the same dragonflies in the greater seattle areas uh, area than we do down here and um you know there's like i don't know 15 you can get on a on a given day if you go to the right place and maybe 25 species frequent sort of the the lower elevation there in the in 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 our two uh bigger cities here um mm -hmm. and uh you know it was easy to learn and you didn't have to drive a lot so it was easy to learn and so i realized hey okay um uh, you know okay done that it was fun um, let's see there, you know, looking at my field guide, there's, there's some really colorful ones, colorful dragonflies, like the white belted ringtail. How far do I have to go to get that? Um, and, and so I started maybe two, three years ago, uh, making longer range trips up to areas where these sometimes pretty localized, uh, dragonflies um are located and it ended up being a lot of fun you know i got lifers and uh, a lot of these guys are actually so um like the white belted ringtail is one of those uh absolutely sexy dragonfly it has white it has yellow it has blue it, it's just like whoa okay you know um and some of these many of these are actually really easy to photograph and so that's another fun thing if you find them oh yeah they perch cool. nicely and and you can get pictures now that's not the same for all of them so darners for example are the ones the larger ones that kind of patrol up you know near the you know edge of the pond or river or something and for those it's extremely hard to identify them in flight and so Quite often, the only way of doing this, especially when you know that there's different species around, um, is to to net them. So I, okay. you know, sometimes go up to Camas Prairie, which is on the east side of Mount Hood. Mm -hmm. um, so every year I go there uh, once or twice uh, with a net and 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 see what what's around. There's about three or four. See species what you're actually daughters. seeing. Yeah, and then there's emeralds are. There's like three species of emeralds there. They're kind of similar in that sense that they don't perch 
Uh, they just patrol the waterway and to really ID them, you got to net them. And so that, that was a lot of fun. And I realized while doing that, now back to the original sort of how, how did I get into butterflies? Um, um, I realized that, hey, you know, while, while being out in all these places that have water, that the butterflies were actually pretty decent. And I started taking pictures. So most of the butterfly um, ID is actually very much possible if you're um, able to get a picture. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you kind of know a little bit what area of the butterfly you need, like a dorsal view, for example, for a blue, um, things like that, um, then you take a few pictures and then you go home and you can start keying out uh, your butterflies. And soon I realized, hey, another new area um, where I can get lifers. It's a little bit more complex than, than, than dragonflies. Um, and you have to travel. So butterflies in the urban areas, Seattle and Portland are no good. Um, those are sort of dead zone. You need to go further out. I mean, the coast range is not great. So essentially you need to go east. Eastern Oregon. Yeah. yeah. I just got back from Ken and I last weekend went to just a, a two day blast through uh, Eastern Washington and mm -hmm. uh, the butterflies were spectacular. Yeah. I, Ken knows some about butterflies. I know next to nothing. If I were to get, if you were going to recommend a butterfly and a dragonfly guide, what, what would I get? What would I would you use, do you use a field guide? Do you use a phone app? How do you do that? Um, I haven't found a good a good app. Um, I, there there is an app that I have that I, I you know it's it's a free app and it's no good. Um, so for Oregon itself, there's um, Cursed and what's the co-author there? Um, Tell I'm you what, actually. I'm, I'll have I'm, you. I'll have you email me the the references, and I'll put them in the podcast notes. How's that sound? Yeah, uh, that's that's for, that's a good idea. But so there is for, for Oregon. There's a really good dragonfly fly book, and um, remember that um, you know there is maybe one more species that you get that Oregon doesn't get in Washington, mm -hmm. and then there is maybe three species from the very southeast, or maybe four that Oregon gets, but otherwise it's all the same. the same. So I think that would be, so Kirsten Gordon are the authors. I think that would be a great dragonfly book. book. Yeah. A great dragonfly book for, for Washington as well. Now okay. for, um, butterflies, I use a uh, pile. Um, and Caitlin Lazar. Is that the same, the same Peter Pyle who does uh, no, birds? No, it's Robert Michael Pyle. <laughs> okay. Now, it's funny because so Robert Michael Pyle, I'm not, actually not sure whether he's related to Peter. Um, and then the co-author of that book. So the book's name is, uh, the title is uh, Butterflies of the Pacific Northwest. But the co-author is Caitlin Labar. And there you wonder if she's related to Bruce. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Bruce this morning. Nice. Uh, nice. I saw him from a long distance. Charlie Wright. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, actually, Bruce was out and got uh, uh, redneck phalaropes out at Chambers Bay. So I nice. thought, oh, well, I'll, yeah. I'll mosey over there. It's a nice walk. And I went out. I got the I got the uh, got the uh, phalaropes and also got a first of the year common myrrh while I was there. So that was nice for the county. And uh, I was driving back. 
And on the way back, uh, we have a nice text uh, uh, chain, like yeah, eight yeah, or yeah. 10 of Pierce mm-hmm. County birders on a text list. Got a text that Charlie Wright had a Franklin skull right almost in wow. front of where I live here at, yeah. uh, off Ruston at Dunes Peninsula. So I go dashing over there and uh, I, uh, I went down you know, at a, near the water to get it. And Bruce went way up on this gravel parking lot overlook. So I, I'm scoping and looking for it. And Bruce calls me up and said, Ed, do you have it yet? I says, no, I'm looking. He says, it's just to the right of the orange boat with the, <laughs> I go, oh, there it is. I look up and he's about, you know, a half a mile behind me and about 200 yards higher up on the hill. I don't know how he can see it from up there, but funny. anyway, it's funny. Yeah. So I'll have to ask Bruce about like, is it Kate Labar you said? Caitlin. Caitlin Labar. Okay. Yeah. And guess what I'm going to do once we're done with this, uh, with this uh, podcast? I'm going to run out and try and get my county redneck fowl rope. <laughs> oh, it's a good time. They've been three places in uh, Pierce County already yeah. today. They, yeah, they've got to be and something moves them in. Day. I don't know. Because yeah. I think some of these birds were knocked down by the rain. Mm-hmm. I bet the rain you're right. was hard. Yeah. I bet you're right. Good. Uh, yeah. So where do you go for that, Stefan? So these birds, I, I so there were there was a report of thirteen of them at Dwellerton mm. River National Wildlife Refuge. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm probably going to head there now. That said, about three four days ago, when it was was it the fifteenth, when it was rainy mm-hmm. as well, I found right. a a marbled merlet on Hag Lake. Oh wow! Which is hmm. uh, was a county first for Washington County. Um. So it's a freshwater lake that's um, yeah, on the odd. west west edge west edge of the coast range, and it's a complete doozy. I mean, just um, <laughs> we don't know yeah. what's Who knows going what? on there. Not yeah. not good. There's a marble murelet there. It's good to see, but not good for the murelet probably. <laughs> no. On the other hand, you know, it wasn't seen the the day after. So and so that kind somewhere. of boats well. Maybe it got out. Maybe it overshot. Got disoriented mm-hmm. in the rains yeah, and then got back out and is now um you know is is now on track again um now the the other thing that's interesting is well if it got knocked into hag lake then how far from hag lake is that nest site that it's probably yeah, going to be free that's the other thought because i know yeah. they travel you know they can go like 30 40 50 miles from yeah. salt water to find a big horizontal branch and so yeah. that's uh that's a whole other story how that was figured out it's pretty yeah. cool good so stefan what's in uh assuming that uh you know ecotourism and birding uh, tourism gets back to some semblance of normal other than uh, hopefully an arizona trip in the july august monsoons what's uh around the corner for you oh boy um so i i did have plans to lead so i'm essentially doing portland audubon's washington state trips okay Um, so i've um led a an olympic peninsula trip in the beginning of november twice Mm -hmm. before and i was gonna uh lead one of those this november the nia bay phenomenon nia bay for sure but also um you you guys are are probably not fully aware how lucky you are um in terms of having uh the puget sound around it it is right for us in oregon 
marbled merlet is a difficult to see bird because oh. it doesn't come into bays. So it stays, it's offshore. Mm -hmm. And most people really struggle getting on uh, birds that are offshore with waves, you know, with a wave action yeah. and so on. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who actually would like to see one and can't. And, you know, when I took people up um, to like point no point or oh, places yeah. like that, you have a relatively flat surface and you can get, you can put a marble merlet into the scope and, you know, people will light up and really enjoy it. And on a good day, you can do it with 15 different birds. Yeah, they can really yeah, be yeah. lots of them there. And yeah. if you go late enough in November, you can maybe get ancient mule while you're at it. Ancient? We have gotten ancient, yeah, one one time. And so the other interesting bird is, um, and again, uh, you guys are really lucky with that, a long-tailed duck. You know, oh, yeah. Oregon has maybe 10 birds total. Really? For winter, huh. yeah, yeah. Never would have thought that. They're, and, I mean, um, they're, it's not like they're all over the place, but there are certainly places you can go get them here. Yeah, and especially um, the further north you go into the, the strait, yes. um, there's flocks of 50 to 100, you know. That's not, not an unusual thing, sure. Yeah, so it's... Um, that's that's another bird that people really want to see. So so that's that that I would like to lead. Let's let's see whether it comes together. And then I have um, a northeast Washington State trip um, for Portland Audubon. That's end of September for Boreal Owl. Oh, and nice! I've done that trip last year with um, Randy um, Randy Hill. Mm -hmm. And um, also Terry Little helped us, um, um, you yeah, know. To Terry find, is a Ponderay guy. Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. I enjoy I enjoy his company a lot. And so okay. that is end of September. Um, again, whether it's going to happen, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and then international trips. Um, um, Madagascar was in November. That that got canceled. Um, Ghana is in January. That's probably going to get canceled. Um, yeah, it looks pretty dire. Yeah, the problem yeah. is it looks dire into next year. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be, well. I don't see, uh, uh, you know, even if things open up, will people be want to travel? Yeah. Will, you know, yeah. will they feel comfortable and, and safe doing that? That's a whole other yeah. dynamic. That's not just governmental regulations. It's uh is there a big enough interest to make things happen? Mm -hmm. It's a it's a tough situation, especially yeah. for people who are depending on it for their livelihood. Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of people are. Yeah, the two two interesting facts are, of course, um, once we have a vaccine, it still doesn't mean that people want to travel because there's a lot of no. people there's there's vaccination deniers there's people who can't afford it and so on so the sure. the presence of a vaccine will help but won't like completely solve the problem no and then and and, and vaccines i mean we don't know 
we have no idea. Is this going to be a vaccine like influenza vaccine? That yeah, gives 50, yeah. or 50 or 60% chance of it working? Yeah, or is it going to be a vaccine like uh, measles vaccine, which gives you a very high chance for it? I mean, it, there's all sorts of unknowns. I'm, I'm a family doctor, so I, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I have some insight into mm-hmm. uh, this sort of thing. And, and it's a very unknown, uh, very hard to stake your stake yeah. your claim to knowing what's going on. Yeah, and then of course the the other thing is Portland Audubon, for example, um, the um, trip participants are mm-hmm. all on the old end of the spectrum. That's good. Yeah, you don't have a lot of thirty year olds going on those trips. Yeah, like yeah, and so that makes it. While a lot of them are very healthy, but they're connected to people that mm-hmm. are not healthy. And so they sure. can't afford going, even if they're completely healthy, they can't afford going on a trip if their husband is sickly, for example. Exactly. Or, uh, exactly. A partner. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's many dynamics that make this a challenging thing for all sorts of parts of our economy, but certainly the, uh, uh, tr- the naturalist tourism part of it is just getting crushed, yeah. just getting crushed. So I'm feel, uh, bad for everybody involved in that uh you know obviously feel bad for those of us who don't get to go on those trips but obviously yeah. worse for those of you who uh don't get uh don't get to make a living leading them so nope. uh very good stefan thank you so much for being my guest today i appreciate it uh and sure. it's always good to catch fun. up with you and i look forward to the next time i see you in the field somewhere sounds good i'm sure that'll happen <laughs> i bet it will thanks stefan take All care right. now thanks ed Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 61 with Stefan Schlick. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, please remember to leave a review or a rating on the podcast feed that you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast feeds. It really helps me get feedback and helps the podcast rank better on those platforms if I get ratings and reviews. So please take the time to uh, leave a leave a nice review. I'd appreciate it. I'll try to get back to you if that's uh, something you'd like. Uh, you can also find me on birdbanner.com. I try to write a blog post related to each episode with additional information and links. You can also find some of those in the podcast notes. So thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding, good day.